Douglas McDermott is remembered as one of our great expat artists, but a new book that coincides with the 100th anniversary of his birth in Taihape reveals a man who is also a consummate letter writer and lover of language. His niece and biographer Anna Cahill has spent years transcribing hundreds of Douglas's handwritten letters to his first great love, composer Douglas Lilburn. These, alongside some poems dating from 1944 to 2001, are contained in a book called Letters to Lilburn, Douglas McDermott's Conversations from the Heart. Douglas died from COVID-19 in Paris in 2020, but Anna and others were determined that his centenary be celebrated in his homeland. I asked Anna if she hopes that Letters to Lilburn, produced with his blessing, will help people to see Douglas as a man who was eloquent with both paint and pen. Yes, I think it probably will, and that was one of the reasons that I thought this was a, a good thing to be doing. This is from a bygone age, in a sense, that that whole generation of people who th- their main method of communication was writing. They didn't pick up a mobile phone. Those things didn't exist then. You wrote a letter. Even if you lived around the corner, you wrote a letter. Um, so I think perhaps that um, people will be a little surprised. Uh, many people know the colour of his art. It's quite distinctive. But um, he couldn't make up his mind when he was at university in Christchurch in the, in the 40s if he wanted to be a concert pianist, he was studying music at the time, or whether he wanted to be a writer or whether he wanted to be a painter, maybe all three. And really the war took care of that. They, it decided his course because there wasn't a great opportunity for people who were wanting to be concert pianists and painting was something he could do while he was in the, um, the home army. You have an example, uh, examples of the handwriting at the very opening of the book. You open the cover and there it is. And I'm looking at this going, I'm a very untidy uh, handwriter, (laughs) but even I would struggle with this. How long has it taken you to transcribe? I mean, not only the letters, of course, but we've got poetry in here and, and other work. But, you know, I'm sure you got your eye in and it became more familiar, but man... He didn't make it easy for you. No, he didn't, because he wrote down the column, up the column, round the margin, big lines down, a little bit at the bottom. I have to say I haven't kept it at all. There's some things I would like to have included in the book, but there would be a particular word I knew was important I could not get. And this is a Douglas who writes in English, sometimes in Latin, sometimes in French, um, sometimes in um, Italian, depending on what he's talking about, and in um, very knowledgeable terms about art, history, um, civilization, opera, lots and lots of on music, uh, about which I knew somewhat little for classical music. And um, these letters are all in the, in, the, in the Alexander Turnbull Library in Wellington. I wasn't working on them from the originals. I had taken photographs of them when I was researching his biography, and I was working from hastily taken photographs uh, taken five years ago on two big screens um, with my computer and yes sometimes it was like Groundhog Day I would sometimes I would get through maybe a page a day and other times I'd simply saw through it because I was so engrossed in it. Well huge respect for that because it must be just so many degrees harder not from the source material and I guess we have to thank Douglas Lilburn for keeping the letters but what about Douglas did he keep letters that were written to him? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so there's there's a, a treasure trove of Lilburn's letters. There's a treasure trove of Douglas's letters. Uh, Douglas wrote to about a hundred people regularly, and the majority of those letters are in archives. The joy is that they both felt that that correspondence that they had was worthy 
of being documented and kept, preserved for other people to enjoy. Which which showed a lot of foresight, didn't it? Because at the time they were writing, I imagine throughout the, the six decades, but particularly perhaps those really passionate early letters, you know, homosexuality, bisexuality could have got them in deep trouble. Oh, absolutely. Um, And that's why the set of letters is important, because Douglas was much more unfiltered, much more candid. He told Lilburn lots of things he didn't tell his parents, so they were a great source of information about things he was doing, how he was feeling, how he was coping, whereas he'd tell his parents somewhat different story that was probably um, a little glossed over and much much more cheerful. You've mentioned in the uh, preface to the book that, as you say, Douglas had so many people that he wrote to, uh, but there was a particular connection between him and Lilburn. Yes, indeed. Even to their, their, their Scottish origins, their love of hiking, their love of the sea, their obsession for sunbaking, which both in both cases, they ended up with you know, skin cancers in later life that they came to regret. There was a great deal connecting them. And I think even if they both had stayed in New Zealand, that there would, there would have continued to always be that connection because from the time they met, they were, um, they were in a sense, soulmates, I suppose. Conversations from the Heart is the, the subtitle to the book, and it is, it's just so beautiful. I mean, these little moments, my dear, my dear, I could yell with delight after your letter. <laughs> Somehow I've never wanted a letter uh, as much before as this. Uh, and Douglas certainly feels, relies on Lilburn a lot, doesn't he, in so many ways, you know, emotionally, also in terms of business. But there is a reliance. Was that shared? Was, did Lilburn feel as reliant on Douglas? Sometimes, indeed, he did. For example, at one stage, he was in Christchurch, Douglas was in Wellington, and he wanted him to go and check out a house at Paikokoreki, north of Wellington, that he thought he might buy overlooking the sea. So he trusted Douglas to go out there and basically work out whether it was worth buying or not. He also trusted Douglas to keep him up to date on what music trends were happening in Europe, and this was something that would have been quite hard to have attained Otherwise, you can read it in newspapers perhaps in those days, but the information trail would have been much slower to come back to him had he not had a direct source who was interested in in the things he was interested in. I was um, taken too for the fact that Douglas really did respect Lilburn's opinion in terms of his art. And I think Lilburn actually helped, you know, as a a semi-agent at some times. But he really did want to, you know, he was very excited about a work or two that he was going to send Lilburn to see. You know, I think you're going to really like these. I'm really, really pleased with them. That was quite lovely. I'm not sure if Lilburn respected Douglas's taste in his music or how that went. Douglas adored Lilburn's music his piano uh, preludes and things particularly, his, his classical music. When he moved on to the more experimental electronic music, Douglas loathed it. He couldn't stand the music that he was coming out with. He thought it was just discordant noise. And similarly, Lilburn really loved a lot of Douglas's early work and, in fact, continued to like most of his work unless it was... Um, semi-abstract or abstract, and then he just said, Piff, I don't understand this, it's just a jumble of colours. So there were lots of misunderstandings and likings and uh, conversations that related to things that they, um, they disagreed about, but at least they agreed to disagree sometimes, most times. 
Well, one of the things that tickles me throughout this is the moments where they fall out <laughs> with each other, right? There's, there's quite a few. There's one here. This is uh, 71, so it's a little bit later. For the rest, I don't understand your irritation any more than you seem to understand my letters. You know, you're compelled to let fly with something sharp and hurtful to maintain balance. You can hear the frustration. And there, there are gaps in the correspondence. I mean, what would be some of the, the longer periods where they simply didn't write to each other? There were periods of up to a year or two. As they got older, they wrote less often, but there were always a few letters every year. But some years, there were a couple of years where there was very little, and that was normally when um, when Little Burn had a particular bee in his bonnet about some perceived um, slight that he had received from Douglas, and Douglas wasn't even aware of it generally. Um, something he'd said, a word had set him off, whatever it was, and... Um, so nothing would happen. And th- there was one period in Lilburn's correspondence, there are a whole series of letters where he's written letters to Douglas on the back of envelopes and he's never sent them. And so he's basically been keeping this connection going um, in a very grumpy fashion, but he didn't actually ever send the letters because he couldn't bring himself to, to be as, 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 as negative as he was being. Oh, and then you come across a, a letter saying, please send me a photograph of yourself. Plaintive <laughs> <laughs> letter. How extraordinary. I mean, if, do you think if they had been in the same country the, the whole time, the relationship would have lasted? Gee, that's hard to know. I've often thought about that. I think it would have lasted as a friendship. Douglas had great capacity for making lifelong friendships of his lovers. This is this is a uh, has been a... Um, a repeated habit through his life, and that's and that's wonderful. He valued his friendships above all else, and um, yes, I think they would have remained very good friends. It's odd because often they were better friends and they were more open with one another when they were writing. When they got together, it got a bit awkward sometimes. Maybe one expected too much of the other, but um, sometimes when they met those meetings were not as, um, they were just not as harmonious as, as that, that easy correspondence that they were able, were able to slip into. We come back to this perhaps unexpected love of words, of language, of, of Douglas's. There are poems throughout mm-hmm. here. Were they one of the, the surprises for you, Anna? I mean, you spent years researching Douglas's story for his biography, but within these letters, these poems, these diary extracts, have there been some surprises for you? Yes, they had. I knew he wrote poems. Um, in Letter Life, he wrote bawdy limericks that I, I didn't find particularly funny, but never mind, that's an old man for you. But um, I was aware of a lot of the, le- the, the poems. I wasn't aware he'd written so many to, to, um, to Lilburn until I seriously started looking at the body of work. And uh, there's some lovely things there. He's been able to say things there that you couldn't or wouldn't say in those days. And some of his expressions are um, are truly beautiful. To me, this was some of the more lyrical writing that Douglas has ever has ever uh, achieved. Um, he always wrote all sorts of things, reviews. He wrote he wrote a novel. He wrote a uh, and there's another unpublished manuscript that, that I have um, of a a book that really relates to the age of Aquarius. So I'm not sure how up, up, how it could be updated. But lots of things that were quite deeply philosophical and probably oblique to most people. But these letters resonate, and that's why I like them. The 100th anniversary of his birth in Taihape, and he writes about Taihape, actually, Douglas, I see in in the letters, which is really quite sweet. And he sounded very 
proud. I mean, he uh, home was still home to him, uh, despite all these adventures and the you know the success and the travels that he had. I think that pride and t- his birthplace is really quite sweet. It is sweet. As a young man, he couldn't wait to leave. He just wanted to devour the world and get back to those sources of things that were the beginnings of our civilization in the, in the Mediterranean spirit. He always adored classical literature. He wanted to see all those paintings that he could only see as, as photographs. So he went away. He went away not really wanting to even think about home. And then he came to realise that, like it or not, you remain a New Zealander. And in fact, he said himself that snake-like, you cannot cast off your skin. And he was not saying that in any derogative term. He was saying that because he, he realised that it was his New Zealandness that made him special in the European scene. And his, his love of Tai Happy caused him to realise that this is where his aptitude for powerful colour and paintings came from because he'd grown up in a, in a landscape that was quite wild and, and broken. Those am- amazing volcanic mountains, um, the hillsides, the uplift of farmlands broken by earthquakes and volcanoes over, over centuries. That was a landscape that remained with him and influenced everything he did, even if it took him years to work it out. It's very sad in, in many ways that he, he uh, wasn't able to survive to his centenary, just by two years, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but did he know that there were things in train to actually mark the anniversary, to, to celebrate him here in Aotearoa? And would that have meant a lot to him, as with the publication of these letters? Yes, yes, indeed. I saw him last about a year before he died. He died in, in, in August 2020. Um, I saw him in October... 2019, so you know, about 10 months before he died, and we talked about uh, a centenary. We talked about doing some sort of sort of project, um, and at that point, I was starting to transcribe letters and feeling a bit excited about them. And, uh, and he said, "Well, if that's what you feel you'd like to do, I'd love you to do it." So yes, he he did know, and um, I wouldn't have done it without his blessing. It would have been an intrusion of his privacy if he hadn't agreed that it was time for the letters to be revealed. But also when he died because of COVID, nobody could go to his funeral. No family, no friends. Patrick, his partner, couldn't bring himself to go to create to the cremation. So in effect, he had this lonely little little ceremony. So in a sense, this is sort of a last hurrah for Douglas as well, so that um, we have an opportunity to appreciate him. Anna Carhill, Letters to Lilburn, Douglas McDermott's Conversations from the Heart will be launched in Wellington on the 14th of November, the date of what would have been his 100th birthday. As well as Anna's book, there will be the McDermott Centenary Art Trail that's included in a new dedicated website, www.douglasmcdermott.com. That link's also on our webpage.